Welcome to Lake Mount Worship Center, connecting you to the life-changing presence of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are blessed and inspired by today's message. All right, let's get into the Word this morning. We're digging in this year uh, what it means to be devoted to the Lord, fully devoted, fully giving our entire lives, not just uh, moments of attention, moments of prayerful dependence, but a lifestyle of devotion to the Lord, not for what we're trying to get from God, but because of what we want to give to him that he's not asked for. We want to give full devotion like a Nazarite going above and saying, God, our lives are for you. As we've been digging into that over the last number of weeks, what we're finding is that we're, we're asking the Lord, we want to reclaim the spiritual momentum of the early church. What we see happening in the book of Acts uh, is the rightful inheritance of faith-filled believers uh, all over the world and here for us today at Lake Mount. Amen? That's our inheritance. It's not just meant to encourage us, look what God did. It's meant to stir in us a hunger for what God can do and what he still does. So we've taken the last four weeks to look at the, uh, the devotion of the first Christians. They devoted themselves in the uh, book of Acts. And so we're going to go to that text, Acts chapter 2. And uh, what we dug into in verse 42 is the kind of four highlights of their devotion. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's Christ and him crucified. They were devoted to fellowship. That's koinonia, spiritual family, doing life together, uh, making sure that there's actual connection happening, not just strangers in a row. They were, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. That's holy communion and recognizing the body of Christ, both in his physical suffering and also in the believers with whom we share spiritual family as a local church. And finally, they were devoted to prayer, a conversation with God Almighty who says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and wonderful things that you do not know. These were the practices and priorities which the early church were devoted to. And uh, as a church here at Lake Mount, we're saying we're aligning ourselves to these same things. How many would say that you felt the Lord stirring in your heart, drawing your heart deeper in these areas of devotion? Anyone? All right, good. Preaching's working. We're, we're saying, God, this is what we're asking for. We're not just listening to it, but we're saying, God, I want to increase in these kinds of devotions. And so what I want to do today is I want us to look at the first fruits of the devoted. I want us to look at what is the outcome of such devotion. It's not enough to just say, okay, well, that, those are good priorities that the church had there. But what was the outworking of such devotion? So again, let's look at the text. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was the devotion. Then we start looking at the first fruits of that devotion. Verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's some good fruit. 
And so we're not just saying, well, we want to just kind of mimic what was happening there. We're saying, God, we believe that this is what you are calling us to as a church. And the, the outworking of such calling, the outworking of such devotion is that we could be as fruitful as possible as a local church. That we could be as fruitful as possible as a believer. I don't know about you, but one of my mainstay prayers is, God, I want to maximize my effectiveness for you while I'm on the earth. I don't want to just take up time. I don't want to just, just you know, do a bare minimum. I'm not just, you know, at, at, at some base level. I'm saying, God, I want my whole life to honor you, and I want to maximize the time that you give to me. And so as we look at Acts chapter 2, that's some pretty compelling fruit. And if you're like me, we don't want to leave that fruit and such results to the history books of the church or to the memory vault of the church. But what we're saying is we have a spiritual right and responsibility to devote ourselves to those things and then to anticipate that same fruit in our lives. Amen. We're not just listening to Christian theory when we come Sunday after Sunday. We're saying, God, stir our faith to believe that what you did then you want to do now. And so there's first fruits. Verse 43 is where we're going to direct our attention today. It says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Everyone in the Greek literally means everyone. That means beyond the church. That means that there was a testimony that was rolling out the doors that was causing for people to be filled with awe or literally everyone kept feeling a sense of reverence. That's what that literally means in the Greek. Everyone kept feeling a sense of deep reverence for the Lord. What was happening in the church was starting to roll out the doors of the church so that everyone was starting to feel a reverence or, or, or perhaps a, a way to put that is a, a spiritual curiosity. What's going on in there? A spiritual hunger was being provoked by God and he was using that hunger to draw people to himself and connect them to the church. It seems, as we read verse 43, that this awe and that this spiritual curiosity was connected to the miracles and the wonders that were happening through the apostles. And so then we find ourselves saying, well, do such things continue to happen today? There may be some who would think, well, how can we reclaim the miracles of the apostles without apostles? I want to say to you that the apostolic age is still continuing. And that the call of the church is to be an apostolic church. And so, you know, to be sure, the, the very first apostles, those very first ones who were called and designated apostles, they were appointed by Jesus while he was still on the earth in the flesh. But then there were others, like Matthias, who was appointed after. Like, like Saul of Tarsus, who was converted on the road to Damascus and who was called into the kingdom after. And so we know that, you know, that first generation of apostles, there was some unique grace in terms of some of their firsthand reporting and thereby some of the uh, inspiration that God placed upon them to actually pen scripture. That's a unique grace that's not making a comeback. Okay, if someone says, hey, listen to me, this is equal to scripture, run, run for your life. Okay, the canon of scripture is closed. So we, we just, we got to make that clear. That was a special assignment and calling 
not to be repeated. However, the grace which is needed for the church to thrive is connected to an apostolic grace. Now, let me just give you this for free because I know there's, there's many new people. Let me just cover this for just a moment. The word apostle is not an Old Testament word. That's not a Bible word. When Jesus was talking, it is a Bible word, but, but it wasn't a, a Torah word. It was not a word that the, the disciples might have thought that Jesus would have designated them. He might have thought they were going to call them, he was going to call them priests or call them prophets, but he called them apostles, which is a Roman military term. And so just, just by way of reminder, what happened when the Roman Empire was taking over the world was as they would conquer territory, they realized that that territory did not uh, act like it was conquered. They could simply conquer, drive out an army, put a flag in the ground, but it was actually just very uh, much the same as it was before. And so what they did was they took an apostolic team. That was, that was a, a team that came from Rome with the authority of Rome to come into an, a newly conquered territory and bring to that territory the culture of Rome. It was the assignment to make new territory feel like Rome. And the, the assignment was this, that wherever the emperor goes in his empire, if he was to step out into, if, if Grimsby was a conquered Roman territory, if he was to set foot on the soil here, he would feel like he was in Rome. That's what an apostolic team was. So when Jesus called his disciples and designated them apostles, it was jarring. It was like, well, that's a different term. I was expecting something more Hebrew. And he was saying, no, what you see happening there of those ones trying to bring the culture of Rome and force it on us here in Israel, what we're going to do is we're going to, by the power of the Spirit, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone, and not just plant the flag in the ground of someone raised their hand, prayed the prayer, but then we're going to actually see the culture of the kingdom fill out that space. Jesus doesn't call us to go in all the world and make converts. He calls us to make disciples. The process of discipleship is an apostolic uh, a process. And so the, the grace that the church needs to thrive in. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 22. says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. That's good news. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives in by his spirit. What's that saying? Since Jesus is still building his church, it stands to reason that he's still using the same building materials. How many believe Jesus is still building his church? This should be every hand, okay? Jesus is still building his church. And God's word tells us that the foundation is the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So, so that apostolic grace is how churches are built. It's how the culture of the kingdom is continued. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, Jesus commends the church of Ephesus. And he says to them, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. And I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. And that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Okay, so if there was no such thing as contemporary apostles, what would the test be? Someone claims to be an apostle, it's like false, eh, wrong. That's an easy test. That's not what's being said. If there can be such a thing as a false apostle, 
then there can be a true one. If there can be a false prophet, there can be a true one. So let me remind you about that reality that the entire church is meant to be apostolic. We're supposed to go and bring the kingdom of God everywhere we go. So, so biblically, an apostle is someone whom Christ gives as a gift to the church, and an apostle is someone with a servant heart and a leadership gift who carries a burden for purity of doctrine and lifestyle and the culture of the kingdom. In 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul is defending himself to the church in Corinth against the, what he calls the super apostles. And these are false apostles who are claiming grand prophetic experiences and unverifiable miracles. And the apostle Paul just kind of stands against that. And to refute them, Paul boasts not of all of his grand spiritual experiences and the way that God's using him, but instead he boasts of his weaknesses and his pains and the persecutions that he's endured. And yet he persists in loving leadership to that congregation. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12, he says, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. I ought to have been commended to you, for I'm not in, least, in the least inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. The things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. That's the test right there. Signs, wonders, and miracles with great perseverance. That's apostolic grace, not a quitter, not a bragger. Signs and wonders with an unquittable resolve, a servant of Christ who's more concerned with the health of the church than of his own comfort and ease. And so we as a church need to walk in the apostolic mandate that Jesus has for the New Testament church, which is the apostolic mandate for the church of all time, including Lake Mount Worship Center, is the Great Commission. Amen. So let's look at it. Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, Jesus says this, verse 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, most people stop there. Most people go, well, that's the great commission. Go into all the world, preach the gospel, and people get saved and baptized. Jesus keeps talking, so we should keep reading. Amen to that. He says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. Raise your hand if you believe in Jesus. Okay, this is meant to continue here in our church too. Amen, Pastor Matt, we need to hear this. Go in all the world, this is our mandate. Preach the gospel to everyone. Preach and then baptize and these signs will follow. These signs will follow, what signs? In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not harm them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. Those signs are meant to follow those who believe. Everybody who raised your hand a second ago, these signs are meant to follow you. It's not an elite group. Well, why'd you spend that time talking about the apostolic grace? Because there's still a a leadership grace that God wants to release into the church, but it's not to do all the ministry for the people. It's to equip the people for all the ministry. And the calling of Jesus on the church is that these signs will follow those who believe. And so if these signs aren't following you or aren't following me, we shouldn't just go, well, I guess it's not for today. We should lean in and say, God, how do we get there? God, we don't want to settle at the level of our experience, we want to move. Listen, we don't want our faith to be set at the level of our experience because that doesn't actually take faith to believe for what you already have. 
takes faith to press in and say, God, what you say is possible and what you say is our inheritance. We're pressing toward that in Jesus' name. The, there's an inheritance that we have of signs and wonders. We're going to look at it in the book of Acts, but here's Jesus telling the first disciples, this is your assignment. This is your mandate. Go in all the world, preach the gospels, baptize people and, and baptize them into the kingdom and these signs will follow you. Now, when he talks about taking up snakes, I know there's kind of some strange offshoots down in the hills of Kentucky. The, you know, if you, want, you can Google it later people that, you know, as part of their worship, just handle snakes and they prove how spiritual they are by how many times they get bit. That's not what Jesus meant. I appreciate being literal, but like, that's not what he meant. What he meant was like, you know, in another text, when, when, when Paul survived the shipwreck and then he was gathering some firewood and a serpent came out and bit, bit him, he just shook it off and kept on going like nothing happened. You know, there's stuff that the enemy is going to try to throw your way to take you off your assignment. But if you're walking in the will of God, you can shake it off and keep moving in the Lord. That's what Jesus is saying. That there's, there's, there's harm that may come your way, but you can shake it off. And so the testimony of Scripture isn't meant to impress us with what God used to do. It's meant to inspire us to pursue him until we see the same things. Here's what I've observed. Miracles are seen as luxury theology or fringe Christianity until you need one. It's like, it's like those believers over there believing for miracles. Oh, we believe in sovereignty. Well, I believe in sovereignty too. Do you think the book of Acts doesn't honor God's sovereignty? Did Jesus not honor God's sovereignty when he raised Lazarus from the dead? Jesus Walk away, it's over, four days. No, no, no. It was not in the right timing, stepping in. We honor God's sovereignty. That's not in question. But we, we, we look at what he's called us into as an inheritance and we say, Lord, we believe that that's for today. Miracles are seen as luxury theology until you need one. Everybody's looking for a miracle when their car stalls on the train tracks. You're suddenly charismatic in that moment. You can have all the theological arguments in the world. You're asking the angels to pick your car up. Let the train just go right through you without feeling it. You're, you're, you're a charismaniac in that moment. We need to learn to contend for the miraculous, not just to meet our own personal needs. I think that's a challenge for the Canadian church. I think that's a challenge for us. Everybody prays better prayers when they're in a problem. The problem with that is if we don't see the miraculous, often we level off and stop contending for miracles because we, we, we come to the conclusion it doesn't work. You cannot, listen, you cannot be in this thing for very long before you realize there's, it's not as though Jesus says, just do this and you always get that. As a spiritual family, we have navigated the waters of disappointment, of, of things that we've walked through, contended for, and what, what is promised and what we experience, there's a gap. We have to acknowledge that. And the way that we acknowledge it, Romans 12, 12 says that we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. 
we find a way to journey and recognize that our responsibility is not the result of faith. Our responsibility is the journey of faith. And disappointment, it's easy for every person in this room to pull in a testimony of a time when a prayer for a miracle didn't work. That's easy. That's low-hanging fruit. That takes nothing. No effort at all. But there are testimonies that we've also walked through as a church family. There are testimonies that we're living in right now of answered prayer, of shrunk tumors, of, of things that have been reversed, surgeries that should have been, you know, 30% effective that, that then at the end of it, you know, should have been, well, you'll, you'll, you'll be deaf in one ear. And, the, and we've watched God do something completely miraculous where people are, are perfectly well. We've seen God answer prayer time and time again. So the question is... What testimony will you feed your soul? Will I feed myself the testimony of disappointment? That's an easy meal. Because even outside the house of the Lord, outside the household of faith, you'll find those testimonies all over the place. Those are the statistics. Those are what they say. Those are the prognoses. But in the house of God, we have an assignment to draw near to the Lord, not because we're trying to get something out of him, but the Bible does tell us that we should eagerly desire, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, we should eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Who should eagerly desire spiritual gifts? Charismatic churches. That's what Paul was talking about. Just charismatic churches. Only, only the church in Corinth. That, he was just talking to them. But then we cherry pick all the other scriptures that we like, but not that. Why? Because it's easy to level off where we've been disappointed. I have reason to level off where I've been disappointed. Tomorrow is the 23rd birthday of my youngest daughter. She's not with us. We've walked the road of disappointment. So you don't have a pastor that's preaching theory at you and disregarding your pain and disappointment. What I'm saying to you is what we need to learn to do is grieve and weep and believe and persist all at the same time. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us to move toward your promise without losing steam when we've experienced disappointment. Easier said than done, but not impossible. Because God is the same. And so we don't come with a, with a, with a very oversimplified theology. Some oversimplified theology that you will hear from people is because of the relative ease of their lives. They're able to say to you, I don't know, always works for me. That's what I do. I don't have any problems. I haven't experienced anything like that. I and that's what Paul was dealing with when he's talking about the super apostles, just claiming all their easy road stuff. That's not where we're headed as a church. What I'm saying is signs and wonders are a part of the first fruits of the devoted. And it doesn't mean that we have some just punch in the code and do this. And this is what God does every single time. What it means is that we live by faith. It's not the same as just understanding, do this, get that. It's not mathematical. It's faith. 
but we trust God in the in-between. And our responsibility is not the result. Our responsibility is the journey and obedience. And as we learn that, we learn how to walk with the Lord. So we need to learn how to contend for the miraculous, not just to meet our own personal needs, but rather to see the glory of God awaken a spiritual curiosity all around us. If I only contend for the miracle I need, I miss the opportunity to partner my faith with those in need around me. Can I just tell you what that is? That's selfish. I want to keep growing in faith. Not just for my benefit, but for God's glory. And so I want us to just take a look at a miracle story in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Go there with me. We'll look at it quickly. So that we can, again, see an example from the early church and from that example, be encouraged. From that example, be stirred. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. What's he expecting to get? Money. Raise your hopes, mister. You're asking for change, and you're going to get change. Verse 6, then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I have something. I have something. I have an anointing. I have a grace from God. I have a gift of faith stirring in me right now. What I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Let's pause there for a second. This man, the Bible tells us later in the story, Acts 4.22 tells us that this guy was over 40 years of age and he'd been crippled since birth. Every day he'd been laid at the temple court. That's a long track record of illness. That's long enough to think that's normal. When you've been lame your whole life, that's normal. That's the way it is. That's Bruce Hornsby. That's just the way it is. Some things never change. Old reference, nobody got it. <laughs> this is somebody who made peace with his lot in life. This is a man who had an identity that was associated with his problem. He was lame. That's what he was called, a cripple. It was a long time for it to be that way. Here's the tricky part about this text. Because of where he was laid every day for 40 years, that means that this is a man that Jesus walked past for the three and a half years of his ministry. Jesus was 33 years old when he ascended to heaven. His disciples were younger than him. That means that these guys had seen this guy every time they went to temple. This is, this is a circumstance that's like furniture. It just, it just fits. This is how it is. That guy's always been there. 
And you could tell yourself, Jesus walked by for three and a half years. That's the stuff that the gospel don't, don't, it doesn't tease out for us and, and tell us explicitly. But when we read the story and understand where this man is and that every day had been like that, that means that there had been moments of visitation that came and went and he didn't get his. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody. That, that one of the things that we need to learn is how to discern the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Peter and John would have walked by this guy many times. How many times? Countless times. Only God could know. How many times they'd walk past this man. But today was different. And so there's, there's a man who's laying there who's had a problem for a long time and this man did not recognize the anointing. He was asking for money. But when we learn how to walk in step with the Spirit, we can learn how to discern a nudge, a prompting, the gift of faith that he's depositing and stirring for a moment. Something happened in Peter where there was what I would call a momentary confidence. That's the gift of faith. We all have baseline faith, but a gift of faith is different than your baseline faith. We all have a measure of faith. But in that moment, the gift of faith came into Peter where there was this, it was like the turbo button of just confidence. Something stirred in him. And he checked his pockets and there was something stirring in him. It's like, I'm not supposed to give this guy sandwich or money. I'm supposed to tell him to get up and walk. We've got to stay in step with the Spirit, church. Even ministry can be reduced to what is simply possible in our own skills and what we can accomplish without God. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in being a church that is just nice people and good programs. We want to be a church where the power of God and is awakening spiritual curiosity all around us, where we're pressing in and contending, and where we process disappointment without letting it take away from us the faith that is needed to continue to persist in what God says is possible until there's a cultivated atmosphere where signs, wonders, and miracles are what God is doing on the regular in this house. What's a sign? A sign points to a greater reality. A sign is meant to get you to look in the direction. A sign is meant to inform and tell you that the sign that says you are now entering Grimsby is not Grimsby. It's the sign that tells you what Grimsby is. It's a sign. It's telling you how many people live here. You don't move on to the sign. You move into the town. It's a sign. What's a wonder? A wonder is simply something that makes you wonder. Makes you say, wow. It defies the explanations of men. Last week we were looking at Jeremiah 33.3 where God says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Wonders are those unsearchable things. Those things that we want to see God do. God watches over his word to perform it. He doesn't watch over our strong desires. He watches over his word. And when we can learn to trust the heart of God and the authority of his word, we can be trusted with miracles. The urgent nudge of the spirit is a movement of compassion. It's not a movement of performance or nervousness. It's not like, oh boy, I hope this works. 
It's not like Peter was just taking a risk going, I hope this works. Can you imagine what a jerk he would be? Just walking into the prayer meeting, sees a lame guy and is like, hey, let's, let's just see if this guy can walk. <laughs> Come on, buddy. Just pulls him up. I mean, if it's not God, it's mean. Well, I'm just going to step out in faith. Faith works through love. And what Peter felt in that moment was the gift of faith. And he says to the man, he tells the man to do something that he couldn't do. There's a principle in there for us. He's telling him to do something that he was not able to do. Listen, faith is not the result of striving. It's the product of surrender. That what Peter was doing was just surrendering and saying, Lord, if this is what you're asking me to do. And he takes hold of the man. Verse 8 says that the man jumped up. Back to the text. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Can you picture this? It's better if you picture it. This guy's been lame for 40 years, his whole life. He's been laid at the same door of the temple every day for years. Jesus walked by. The apostles have walked by. Today was his day. I don't know why. Gift of faith. Timing of the Lord. My job's not to figure that out. My job's just to partner with the Spirit. And he takes hold of the guy and says, get up and walk. And the man jumps up and walks in the name of Jesus. And he doesn't just walk. It's not like he's just, you know, trying it out and he's kind of feeble. He starts jumping and leaping and praising God. The guy's doing cartwheels on the way into church. Verse 10 says, they recognized him. Who did? Everybody. They recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, the next chapter and a half is Peter and John seizing upon the opportunity of this miracle to turn it into a platform to preach the gospel. And when people are going, is that the guy who's been lame my whole life? Yeah, what happened? Oh, don't look at us as if we're, you know, somehow powerful. We just said in the name of Jesus, get up, and he did. It's the power of Jesus that's at work. There's a a whole other layer of our understanding that we need to filter in here, which is not about the the miracles are meant to give us credibility or build us a ministry, and now we go around travel, and that's all we do. The whole idea is that God gets the glory, and that people recognize there's still a God who answers prayer signs and wonders and miracles are part of the first fruits of the early church that we want to reclaim. Miracles are part of the unsearchable things that God wants to show us, that God wants to do the impossible. When the angel was speaking to Mary about uh, giving birth to Jesus, he said this, nothing is impossible with God. That's a good word. Nothing is impossible with God. You know what that means if you've been dealing with something for 40 years? It's not impossible for God. If it's been your normal for a long time, it's not impossible with God. Where where doctors give up, it's not impossible with God. Boy, that's a pretty big claim. Yeah, I'm not claiming it. God says nothing is impossible with him. God is a wonder-working God. He's a powerful God. He's a miracle-working God. He hears us and he answers prayer. Our job is to 
align ourselves with his word and with his promise and then move in faith as an operation of his love. And I believe that this inheritance is something that is worth pressing into. Amen? I, I believe it's worth pressing into and saying, God, if, if this is what you say, we want, we want you to do that here. We want you to do that in our lives. There are people that need an encounter with God. Not just to make their lives easier, to bring God glory and to turn hearts to him. Can we pray? Father, all over this room, I'm asking that you would, by your Holy Spirit, take our disappointments and hold them. I'm asking that, Lord, in this room, you would release the grace that you said comes with those who believe. We believe you, Jesus. We're not trying hard. We're resting in you. I thank you, Lord, that you are the same today as you have always been. You're a miracle-working God. And Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would just release faith all over this room. That God, you would help us today to recognize it's the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. What we consider impossible. You say there's nothing impossible with you. We thank you Lord for what you're doing today. And I'm asking Lord today for grace to come upon us. I'm going to ask quickly for our pastoral staff prayer ministry team any partnering ministries that are here that want to come join me at the front we have some anointing oil here Lisa if you could just bring that what are we going to do this morning well we're going to take Jesus at his word Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at lakebound.ca or download our app for your mobile device.